0: You're listening to The Formed Book Club, from Ignatius Press and the Augustine Institute. Welcome back, everyone, to The Formed Book Club. Uh, Joseph Pierce is sheltering in place in South Carolina. Father Festo is sheltering in place here in our studio in San Francisco. And Vivian is sheltering in place incognito comunicado uh, <laughs> at, at her home. So... Uh,
1: She told me, by the way, Father, um, that she expects to be back on tomorrow, probably, I mean, next week, probably from home. home. Okay. When we start the next book, she'll be back with us.
0: Very good. Well, this book uh, we're going to finish this week. Uh, It is from the depths of our hearts. It's a phenomenal little book, uh, especially on the priesthood and priestly celibacy, but one which is important for all Catholics to know about. Uh, and we're on the, this our last session. We'll finish up uh, chapter two, which is Carlos Sera's chapter. Chapter one, Paul Benedict's chapter, was really kind of a theological and exegetical or scriptural description of the priesthood and the priest's commitment and his celibacy. And Carlos Sera's chapter, chapter two, is more pastoral, and also ecclesiological. That is, how, how does this affect the church uh, in her living reality? And he broke his chapter into three parts. The first part is called pastoral catastrophe. The second part is ecclesi- ecclesiological confusion. And the third part is obscuring a confusion in understanding the priesthood. And we're in the middle of that second part. The first part, which has to do with the uh, pastoral catastrophe, among other things, uh, emphasizes the harm that would be brought to these young churches, missionary countries, if they were deprived of the presence of a priest living the full priesthood of celibacy uh, giving himself entirely to those people and to the church, his spouse, uh, how that would be undermined uh, if we allowed the ordination of very probati or mature men, married men, uh, in these young churches or missionary churches. That's the first part. The second part is on ecclesiastical confusion. And the main part there is that he emphasizes the nuptial character, both of matrimony, obviously, but also the priesthood, that both a man who is a spouse of his wife and Christ who is spouse of his church are innerly and intimately connected, and that the priesthood uh, is a participation in Christ, not just as Caput Ecclesiae, head of the church, but Sponsa Ecclesiae, spouse of the church. And we didn't quite finish that part two, We are on page 99, and uh, Joseph, I think you had something you wanted to lead off with here.
1: Yes, it actually leads off very well from your introductory comments, because it's actually on page 99, and we have the subheading there, a major ecclesiological issue. And I think that what Cardinal Seurat does here is encapsulate the two sides of the discussion and what separates them. So um, the first here says, these confusions, reveal a deep-seated ecclesiological error. Today, the temptation is for us to reason in a purely pragmatic, functional way, Um, this pragmatism. Against, further down three more lines, do we regard the church as a sociological institution or as the mystical body of Christ enlivened by charisms the gratuitous gifts offered by the Holy Spirit. And I think that this is the, the crux of the matter, literally, is because modernism, and I think this is a modernist era we're talking about here, always sees the world as basically being a sociological. See, sees the church as being a sociological part of the world. It's in the world, it's of the world. And whereas the, the Cardinal Seurat sees it the way that the Orthodox has always seen it as a, a mystical presence of god in the mystical body of christ in the world and therefore as, as he as he says later that basically it's the supernatural dimension which 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 is primary and to try to see the world purely in human terms is to misunderstand what the church is
0: i would only make one slight addition to what carlos ross said as you quoted him here you know, do we regard the church as a sociological institution or as a mystical body? Well, actually, you should have said as merely a sociological institution because it is a sociological institution. It is incarnate. It's in the world. It has structures. But that's that's only that word shell, so to speak, the expression of a. And it, it's not as if virtual reality were some invisible, vague, amorphous reality. No. Uh, it is the true mystical body of Christ, the church, which expresses itself in the outward sociological body of the church.
1: Yeah, I I I can I can accept that. Um I'm tempted I hope to say, you can. I think people we'll would be going too far. <clears throat> tempted to say that the sociological dimension philosophically is accidental, not essential. Um but it's not strictly true because we are fully human in, in the sense we're fully incarnational. But to see the church as primarily or solely a human institution is to make a, an absolutely drastic error. And I think that is at least the temptation and the tendency of a lot of the people that are pursuing this progressivist agenda in the church, is they don't see the church for for basically what the church is, which is the mystical body of Christ.
0: And even when you say progressivist agenda, that also uh, is a reflection of a political way of looking at the church as if we have a conservative and a liberal side, a progressive, you know, and a more rigid side, or whatever. No, uh, those terms are not adequate when it comes to describing the church.
1: No, the yeah. correct the correct word is orthodoxy and heresy. But
0: <laughs>
1: if you're about the word heresy around; people will think you're a bit too zealous, brother.
0: Uh, well, well <laughs> they say, you know, they, they ask me, well, "Are you conservative or Catholic?" I said, "No, I'm just a Catholic." right you know? exactly i'm
1: a bona fide catholic uh, If right. I so like to continue from that father sure. this is better than the 16th uh, uh being quoted here by Sewell, saying something very similar to the top of page 102 in the middle of his quote the church as a whole is being understood as a merely human organization and he does use the word merely there he does yes yeah, he's careful is what you were suggesting was necessary the church, is, is, as a whole, is being midi, understood as a merely human organization and the security you are aiming for does not bring the results it is supposed to achieve. From the fact that the church is not our institution, but is the breakthrough of something different, that she is in her nature, Euris uh, divini, or, or of divine right, it follows <laughs> that we cannot ever simply constitute her ourselves. That means that we can never apply to her purely institutional criteria. It means that she is entirely herself at the very point at which the standards and methods of human institutions are broken through. So, In other words, she's only entirely herself when she actually transcends the pure human understanding.
0: And he says here, too, to her purely institutional criteria, again, merely, purely, that, that's the care with which Benedict Ratzinger always speaks and writes. Yeah. So... Uh this is still in the section ecclesiological confusion. Uh I'm ready to jump into another kind of confusion. Confusion in understanding the priesthood. But do you have anything before page one oh seven?
1: Um well I, I've got a few quotes from Saints um I St. John Paul II, but we can pass it over. Well, Perhaps i
0: Sorry? Oh go ahead. Whatever you wish to do.
1: Well, um, basically, uh, sorry, just on the next page, again, it just follows. follow, so Sarah, then you have Pope Benedict and Pope John Paul II. St. John Paul II says here, quote, priestly celibacy should not be considered just as a legal norm or as a totally external condition for admission to ordination, but rather as a value that is profoundly connected with ordination, whereby a man takes on the likeness of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd and spouse of the church. So that's... Uh, St. John Paul II on the top of page 103. And then on page 113, St. Jose Maria Escrivar says, We priests, this is the bottom of page 113, we priests, whether we are sinners or saints, are no longer ourselves when we celebrate the Holy Mass. We are Christ who renews on the altar the divine sacrifice of Calvary.
0: Right. Now, you. Uh silently, or at least uh, without mentioning it, jump to the third part, which is all right. Uh, confusion and understanding the priesthood. Because that, that begins on page 107.
1: You uh, did say you're going to throw some confusion to the things. I thought I'd be interested that.
0: Very good. Okay. Uh, so I want to jump to page 116, unless you've got something before that. Yeah. The bottom of the page there. And again, here he, he speaks very personally. He says, I would like to express my deep indignation when I hear it said that the ordination of married men is necessary since the peoples of Amazonia do not understand celibacy or that this reality will always be foreign to their culture. I see in this sort of argument a contemptuous, neo-colonialist and infantilizing mentality that shocks me. And again, there is this... uh, uh, sometimes it's just underlying, sometimes implicit, sometimes it's explicit uh, looking down upon the southern hemisphere as right. if they're somehow you know, less fully sophisticated and and intelligent as we are in, in the northern hemisphere, you know. Right. And he's very okay. sensitive to that.
1: We're not capable of embracing the fullness of the Catholic truth, which every other culture so far has been able to do. I mean, he doesn't use the word but the other word that speaks to my mind is racist, right? That basically under underlining all this is a supercilious approach to the people of the Amazon, which is basically subliminally racist, that they are not capable of embracing the fullness of the faith, which every other culture uh, throughout history has has been able to do.
0: Yes, and I, this recalls to me a moment uh, when I first met Cardinal Francis Orenze, who's a wonderful cardinal. He's an English uh, from Nigeria, English speaking Africa. But it was at the Synod in 1987. And once again, the Americans were pushing for uh, altar girls and eventually ordination of women and so on. And they have these, what are called circling minorities, or little groups, small groups, because there's about three or 400 of the Synod fathers and they break them up into language groups. And there were three English language groups and one of them went from A to G. And so I was there, Fessio, as a paritas, Cardinal Bernadin was there, B, as a Cardinal of Chicago at the time, and Cardinal Arenze was there, A, Arenze uh, from Nigeria. Well, he was also a Roman curial uh, cardinal. But it was discussed, you know, we were discussing what would mean to have altar girls, women serving at the altar, and Cardinal Arenze said, uh, raised his hand and said, well, you know, in my country, Uh, The father is seen seen as the priest of the family, and every family has a shrine. And it's the father who leads the family prayers, and it was exercised a priestly role. That's our traditional religion. Uh, It would be very uh, awkward in Africa to have women in a priestly role inside the sanctuary and so on. Okay, so... uh, Carl Bernard said, oh, well, yes, uh, I don't remember his exact words, but it was very condescending. Well, yes, perhaps we have to make this regional where this wouldn't be accepted in some countries, but in others they would, you know, uh, the more enlightened, you know, sophisticated countries. Okay, so we broke for a coffee break, and I, uh, I walked with Carl Renz and I said, you know, Carl uh it's not because you people are unsophisticated that you see it this way. It's because you're close, closer to nature. You're not running around in automobiles and with electronics all around you and big steel and concrete buildings. You're out there in a farm. You're out there watching cows give birth, you know. Uh, You've got wild animals uh, just on the borders of your city. You are close to nature. And that's why you're seeing this role of man and woman as something which is important and very natural. So he said, well, could could you write that down for me, you know. So I went over to the Columbus Hotel, which is on the Via della Conciliazione, which is the big street going up into St. Peter's Square. And I typed this thing out on my computer, printed it out, uh, about the incarnational uh, and creational order of man and woman, and how that relates to the priesthood and also even serving at the altar. I was very proud that the next day at the plenary session, Carl Rizzi got up and without giving attribution, he read my little paper. But. Again, uh, we did a book at Ignatius Press a couple of years ago called "Christ's New Homeland: Africa," which is a, an expression of Saint Paul the John Paul uh, Pope, Saint Paul the Sixth. Uh, and again, you have these brilliant people. Arinze is a brilliant man, and Sarah even more so. I would say, sorry, sorry, Cardinal but uh, and yet they haven't lost their connection with foundational things, with nature, with the soil, with with reality, you know. Things it's like, are, you
1: know, that you, as you say, they're, they're in touch with nature, they're, they're incarnational, as opposed to the world that we live in has become virtually real. We live in virtual reality. And a lot of the ideas we have are only virtual reality, not real reality. And we lose track of it. There's so many accretions of artificiality separating us from the real. And if we can't keep that connection, and a lot of, I don't know what words to use now, I can't use the word progressive or liberal because you'll, you'll shoot me down. Um, <laughs> but many, many people that are enamored of, of, of modernity um, uh, do not see that actually we're living in a completely artificial world with artificial ideas, none of which is actually foundational. Right. And if anything were to go wrong and we're living in the midst of things going wrong at the moment, those foundations, you know, are only, the only things that are left. The, the rest of the edifice,
0: which is artificial, just crumbled. Well, I, remember, I have a little vineyard up at our retreat house, and my mentor is a wonderful Italian, Carmen Indindoli, who is a former electrical engineer for Hewlett Packard. But uh, he moved up to the wine country because he wanted to have a better environment for his children, and he got involved in managing little vineyards. Uh, but he would give people, you know, friends would come by, and he'd show them his garden and everything. And, and one day he's walking his relatives through the garden and what, what's that over there it, it was a zucchini plant you know she said well that, that's zucchini plant zucchini plant oh, oh is that is that where they come from you know <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 they
0: they thought either it comes in a can or right. you, get it, you yeah. get it they get the grocery store oh it actually comes from a plant
1: yes said i mean a hundred years ago he says that you can people these days want their milk from a bottle, not from
0: a dirty cow, right? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I'm ready to jump ahead to page 124, unless you've got something in between here.
1: Um, Yes, I have actually. I've got page 122. All right. Um, So again, under the subheading there, toward a radically evangelical priesthood, um, the, the priesthood is going through a crisis detestable scandals have disfigured its face and unsettled many priests throughout the world now within the church crises are always always overcome by returning to the radical character of the gospel and not by adopting worldly criteria and then he quotes saint john paul ii basically on the same thing but you know if you really want to get back to the authenticity of, of the church you have to get back to the radical living of the gospel and as i said right at the beginning of this discussion you know that priestly celibacy means nothing if you divorce it from chastity you know the, the whole idea that, you, that a celibate priest needs to be living a chaste life it doesn't mean he's got to be you know perfect it doesn't mean he won't fall into sin but he has to understand that's the goal not through pride if you like legitimize his lust
0: and that is a good segue into page 124 where Carlos Ross says something that first full paragraph there This is, uh, it could be considered controversial, uh, even by some good priests. where he says, the full concept of priesthood includes a life led according to the evangelical councils. Now, people make a big thing about this. That Well, actually, diocesan priests, or so-called secular priests, because they're in the secular of the world, they have they, they take a, a promise of celibacy and obedience to their bishop, but not poverty. Uh even the joke is that they live the poverty and we profess it as Jesuits, you know, or whatever. Uh, but uh there's a certain jealousy there on some us and priests that we're not religious. Uh we don't take the vows of poverty. We live out in the world. And there's a certain truth to that. Uh however Uh, Hans Urs von Balthasar has made it very clear in a wonderful book called The Christian State of Life that the the primordial state, he calls it a state of love. Uh, God's love for us calls our response of love to him. And that love expresses itself in one of two states. Basically, the primordial created state of marriage, fruitful with children, and the state of discipleship, closer following of Christ of the evangelical councils. But for him, the priesthood is actually within that state of evangelical following of Christ. uh, And that it it doesn't really make sense to have priests who don't live at least the spirit of those councils. So I was happy, but also kind of surprised to see uh, such a clear statement of that here in Carl Sarac. And, he, and he, he develops that in a way I think, you know, all priests, especially a priests should should meditate on.
1: Yeah, I mean, even if you don't actually take the official vow of poverty, surely to live the uh, the gospel is to live a life of poverty because that's what Christ
0: yeah. teaches. Uh, you may have something before this, but on page one thirty-seven, just towards the end of what he's saying here. Uh, that he,
1: one thirty-seven to one
0: twenty-seven. All right. Well, I just want to say though. At the end, for our listeners and our viewers, uh, he has uh, a whole page and a half where he summarizes the essential points of he's been trying to make here. So just that's a good uh, pedagogical tool he has there, and I'd recommend people to go over that summary uh, once they've read the whole chapter. Go ahead, Joseph.
1: Well, yes, again, I, 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 I've, I've sort of plucked out some some, uh, some of the... Buttressing of the, the points that Carlos was making by the saints. So, at the bottom of page 129, he quotes uh, uh, St. John uh, Mariviani, the curé of art. Um, he says, with tears in his eyes, he says, Ah, how terrifying it is to be a priest. Then he would add, How sad it is when a priest celebrates Mass as though it were an ordinary thing. How far astray a priest without an interior life has wandered. So those cautionary words by not just a great saint, but actually the patron saint of secular priests.
0: That's right. That's right. Uh, on the second last page of his chapter, page 138, he has a very interesting quote from uh, Pope Francis. And of course, this was written prior to the decision or the final document of the Amazonian Synod. And uh, here, Carlos Sirach quotes Pope Francis, who himself is quoting Paul VI. And Sirach says, This is why Pope Francis, adopting as his own the resolute and courageous words of St. Paul VI, says, quote from Paul VI, I would rather give my life than change the law on celibacy. Personally, I think that, unquote. And now, Francis, personally, I think that celibacy is a gift for the church. Second, I don't agree with allowing optional celibacy. No, so that, that's interesting, uh, you know. And Pope Francis did take a very good, strong stand when he issued the final document and said, "We're not going to have uh, any relaxation of the, the tradition of uh, the discipline of celibacy in the church." Three cheers for him for that. My last comment, well, maybe, unless I a comment on something you say, I just want to point out that the conclusion has the title, In the Shadow of the Cross, subtitled, Conclusion by the Two Authors. And I just want to point out one thing at the end of this book. This book is a book that is co-authored by Pope Benedict XVI Emeritus and by Carl Robert Surratt. Uh, And anyone who tries to uh, obfuscate and uh, blur that is inaccurate and wrong. It's a beautiful little book. The two of them are spiritual friends, priests, bishops, cardinals who love the church, brilliant men. And I just think they've given a tremendous gift to the church in this book.
1: Yeah, well, I agree. And I've, if I can just say by way of concluding, then that um, what they've done is courageously spoken out, um, and not to have done so, as they quite clearly see, would have been a, a serious sin of omission. And so, in the final two pages of their conclusion, they quote, first of all, uh, St. Catherine of Siena, who says, Accursed are you who said nothing. Enough silence. Cry out in a thousand tongues. Um, and then uh, the, they qu- they finished actually quoting from from St. Paul 1st Corinthians uh, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel and that's the final words uh, of, by both Pope Benedict XVI and uh, Cardinal Seurat and if I can actually say one other thing I thought well, a good way of, of, of concluding our discussion unless you want to comment on what, on what my conclusion uh, uh-huh. is to go back to the beginning right at the beginning of page 21 uh, because it's <laughs> Finish with hope because these two men are holy men, and holy men don't despair. Holy men always have hope. So, on page 21, five lines down, on every side, the waves of relativism are submerging the bark of the church. And then uh, a few lines further down, nevertheless, we are at peace, for we know that Jesus is the one steering the ship. We know that it will never sink. We know that it alone can bring us to the port of eternal salvation.
0: Very good. And your quote of St. Catherine of Siena is a good lead-in to next week's uh, discussion because St. Catherine of Siena was a virgin. Uh, She was a twin. She had a twin, and she and her twin sister were the 21st and 22nd children of the same mother and father. So you have both the fruitfulness of marriage and the fruitfulness of virginity. And so next week, we're going to talk about sex and the single woman. Oh, sex and the Catholic feminist, sorry.
1: <laughs> you obviously haven't read the that whole yeah, That's good. Get started,
0: so all right. So we'll see you all with that next week. Thanks for joining us. To receive email updates, study questions, and free access to our online forum, just visit formedbookclub.ignatius.com. Thanks for joining us.